Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel. The book of 2 Samuel and chapter number 2. The book of 2 Samuel and chapter number 2. After a small little hiatus, we are now back into the life and ministry of David. We've already preached previously 27 messages in the early life of David, explaining the rise of Saul, the calling of David, uh, the uh, persecutions of David in the wilderness. And we ended with the death of Saul, and now the people uh, are now announcing David as king. And so as we finish off this series and working forward in the next several messages, we're going to be seeing David as king of Israel, seeing his victories and seeing his defeats. And we start off in the book of 2 Samuel in chapter number 2. The book of 2 Samuel and chapter number 2. If you don't mind, look with me in 2 Samuel chapter 2 and notice with me in verse number 1. 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 1. And it came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. And David said, Whither shall I go up? And he said, Unto Hebron. So David went up thither, and his two wives also, Ananimim the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, Nabal's wife, the Carmelite. And his men that were with him did David bring up, every man with his household, and they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, that the men of Jabesh-Gilead were they that buried Saul. And David sent messengers unto the men of Jabesh-Gilead, and said unto them, Blessed be ye of the Lord, that ye have showed this kindness unto your Lord, even unto Saul, and have buried him. And now the Lord show kindness and truth unto you, and I will requite you this kindness, because ye have done this thing. Therefore now let your hands be strengthened, and be ye valiant, for your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah hath anointed me king over them. But Abner, the son of Ner, captain of, the, of Saul's host, took Ishobeth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Manamanin, and made him king over Gilead, and over the Asherites, and over Jezreel, and over Ephraim, and over Benjamin, and over all Israel. And Ishobesheth, Saul's son, was forty years old when he began to reign over Israel, and reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. And Abner the son of Ner and the servants of Ishobesheth, the son of Saul went on from Menamenin to Gibeon. And Joab the son 
of Zorah, Zariah and of the servants of David went out and met together by the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, let the young men now arise and play before us. And Joab said, let them arise. And there arose and went over by number 12 of Benjamin, which pertained to Ishobesheth, the son of Saul, and 12 of the servants of David. And they caught every one his fellow by the head and thrust his sword in his fellow's side. So they fell down together, wherefore that place was called Helketh Hazarim, which is in Gibeon. And there was a very sore battle that day, and Abner was beaten, and the men of Israel before the servants of David. And there were three sons of Zerariah there, Joab, and Abishai, and Ashiel, and Ashiel was as light of a foot as a wild roe. And Ashiel pursued after Abner. In going, he turned not to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Art thou Ashiel? And he answered, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn thee aside to the right hand or to the, thy left, and lay a hold on thee, one of the young men, and take thee his armor. But Ashiel would not turn aside from following him. And Abner said to Ashiel, Turn aside from following me. Wherefore should I smite thee to the ground? How then should I hold up my face to Joab thy brother? Howbeit he refused to turn aside. Wherefore Abner with the hinder end of his spear smote him under the fifth rib, that the spear came out behind him, and he fell down there and died in the same place. And it came to pass as many as came to the place where Ashiel fell down and died stood still. And Joab and Abishai pursued after Abner, and the sun went down when they came to the hill of Ammah, and lied before Geah, on the way to the wilderness of Gibeon. And the children of Benjamin gathered themselves together after Abner and became one troop and stood on top of a hill. And Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Knowest thou not that it will be bitterness in the latter end? How long shall it be then ere thou bid the people return from following their brethren? And Joab said, As God liveth, unless thou had spoken, surely then in the morning the people have gone up, every one from following his brother. So Joab blew a trumpet, and all the people stood still, and pursued after Israel no more, neither fought they any more. And Abner and his men walked through all that night through the plain, passed over Jordan, and went through Bithron, and they came to Mahanamon. And Joab returned from following Abner, and when he gathered all the people together, there lacked of David's servants nineteen men and Ashiel. But the servants of David had smitten of Benjamin and of Abner's men, so that three hundred and three score men died. And they took up Ashiel and buried him in the sepulcher of his father, which was in Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at break of day. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a name and a title that is given in the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 2? The book of 2 Samuel and chapter number 2. And notice with me in verse number 8, notice the name Abner. The word Abner. And notice what is described of him, captain of Saul's 
host. Captain of Saul's host. And with the Lord's help, we're going to do a character study on Abner this morning. On Abner, captain of the Lord's hope, or host. Sorry, Abner, captain of Saul's host. And we're going to see this in two parts. This part this morning, and then we'll continue with it on Wednesday night as we continue to look at the life of Abner. But let's see Abner captain of Saul's host. Let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you today, we're asking that you would open up the Bible in a special way. We know that narratives sometimes can have a lot of information. We're asking that you would place the picture in our head. And not only would we see the history of it, but we would also be able to see the lesson from here, from the life of Abner. Again, I need you in a special way. So the best I know how, I surrender myself to you and ask that you fill me with your precious Holy Spirit for the purpose that you could get your own work accomplished in the lives of these good folks here through your precious word. We love you again. Guide and direct my mind, my thoughts in this passage now. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We understand that there are several different ways of studying God's Word. You could study the Bible by its books, which is what I love to do, to take a book of the Bible and to examine that book and how the little parts make the whole. You could study the Bible by its great themes, and there are great themes, the scarlet thread of redemption, the golden thread of Christ's second coming. You could study Bibles by its topics, doing a message on the hell, studying what the Bible says about music. You could also study the Bible by its words. I love to do word studies because God was smart enough to choose which word to use in a passage. Then they're studying the Bible by its characters. We understand that every life teaches a message. Your life teaches a message. We understand that when we die, the best you could hope for is a gravestone with a good epitaph, a good saying. And that throughout all the Bible, you could see that there are certain people that have a certain saying attributed to their name that seem to summarize their life. You had Joshua that said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. <clears throat> you have Paul who said, the just shall live by faith. You had Esther who's, who has attributed to her for a time such as this. Every person's life teaches a message. Well, if you don't mind, we'd like to explore the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 2, and we want to see the life of Abner, the captain of Saul's host, and let's see the message that his life teaches us this morning. If you don't mind, we'd like to go through and explore some things here about Abner, captain of the Lord's host. If you don't mind, let's start off with just some uh, general things about Abner. Let's examine Abner, captain of the Lord's host. Now, when it talks about, not the Lord's host, if I keep saying that today, forgive me. That's one of God's names, uh, <laughs> that captain of the Lord's host, the Lord of hosts. So sometimes I get that stuck in my head. I'm referred to Abner, captain of Saul's host. When we say that, the idea of the captain is the idea of a general for them. So Abner was the general of all of Saul's armies. 
He was responsible for deploying troops. He was responsible for battle strategies. He was responsible for carrying out his king's wishes. That was his job. And so he was fairly high up. He wasn't a little no-name. He was the Schwarzkopf of his day. He was the general who was in charge of the troops. He was also... Saul's first cousin. So they were related. It helps to have family. So Saul and Abner were about the same age. And they were very much involved together in watching the relationship between Saul and David. May I show you some things where Abner saw the relationship between Saul and David? Turn with me. Hold your finger here. We're going to be coming back to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 2. But let's go back as a review. And let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Of course, when we go to 1 Samuel chapter 17, instantly the story of David Goliath should come in your mind. That David, the young shepherd boy, stood before the giant Goliath, nine foot tall. And David ran towards the giant by faith. And God slew the giant using David as a vessel. Well, afterwards, Saul is in shock. Who in the world is this kid? Where did he come from? And notice this conversation that Saul has with Abner in 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17, and notice with me in verse 55. 1 Samuel 17, verse 55. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said to Abner. So here we have Abner. Saul and David are watching the battlefield. Can you imagine what it's like? Most of the time we think about David and Goliath. But here's Saul and Abner. They're overlooking the battlefield. They're standing on a mountain cliff. They're looking down. And they watch David. No armor on. No sword. Taking this... Uh, sling and swings it, hits Goliath, runs towards him, grabs Goliath's sword, sleds off his head, and Saul and Abner are looking at each other. Saul goes, who's that kid? What just happened? Could you imagine what shock it would be there? Abner's there, notices it goes on. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said to Abner, captain of the host, Abner, Whose son is this youth? And Abner says, As thy soul liveth, O king, I can't tell. Where did this kid come from? I don't know. Notice, if you don't mind, as it goes on in verse 56. And the king said, Inquire thou whose son the stripling is. Abner, you go find out all that you can about this kid. Abner, of course, would say, Yes, sir. Verse 57, and as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. So Abner goes down and says, hey, David, the king wants to see you. So David's there. He's got the head of Goliath. And the general of all the forces comes up and says, the king wants to see you. Okay. So Abner comes in and says, king, this is David. David holds up Goliath's head. Hey, how you doing? So Abner knew David. He knew who he was. He watched as God used David to slay the Goliath. And um, we see this event here. Not only that, Abner was also part of the royal table, meaning that they ate meals together when David, when uh, Saul had special uh, circumstances. Notice with you, if you don't mind, 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20. Now this is going to be important. We're trying to do almost a review of what we've taught before. That David of course killed Goliath. And Saul's amazed. David becomes 
part of Saul's house, meaning that he's put in charge of troops, he's put in charge of this, and he at the dinner table seems to be when all the interactions between David and Saul seem to come to be. Notice if you don't mind who's present there in 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20 and notice with me in verse 25. 1 Samuel 20 and verse 25. And the king sat upon his seat as other times even upon the seat by the wall and Jonathan arose and Abner sat by David's side and David's place was empty. Now we're bringing this because if you remember there was quite a few things that happened. Remember that there was one time that Saul's playing with his javelin and he's looking at David and he's hating David more and more and more and he takes his javelin and throws it at David and Saul was used to using a weapon he didn't miss but it missed. And David saw the javelin and said, I'm probably not welcome here. And he took off. But Saul said, I forgive you. Just It was a misunderstanding. And David went back. And Saul did it two more times. You'd almost start getting the hint that probably there's some issues. Abner is there. He's witnessed this interactions. He's watched Saul miss three times. And this interaction, David is missing because David's pretty much convinced that Saul wants to kill him. And Jonathan's like, no, no, let me talk to him. And so David's missing. And Jonathan says, hey, uh, when Saul says, hey, has anybody seen David? And Jonathan said, he's back home. And Saul gets so mad, he takes his javelin and he tries to kill his own son, Jonathan, and it misses. Uh, Can you imagine? This is just a couple interactions at the dinner table. Could you imagine all the interactions that they had? And Abner was a witness to this. He is watching that there's starting to be a rift between Saul and David. He's witnessing this. Now, of course, he works for Saul. So by default, he has to take Saul's side. But he is watching as God has put his hand of favor upon David. David has killed Goliath. David has done uh, killed Uh, Philistines, hundreds of Philistines. David has done this. He has behaved himself wisely. He has been protected from Saul's anger over and over and over. Abner has witnessed this and he is watching the conflict between Saul and David. Notice if you don't mind, we could see this again in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 26. 1 Samuel chapter 26. Now, if you remember that right after that last incident I mentioned, David said, ah, see you later. And he began to go hide in the woods, in the wilderness. And he became number one wanted on Saul's list, that his face was on milk cartons and post offices. Have you seen this guy? And everyone's looking for, for David. Well, again, Abner being the general of Saul's forces is now leading the search for David. Whether Abner agreed with Saul or not, Saul wanted David hunted down, so Abner has to carry it out. And so we come to another incident where David is just so close to, um, to Saul that all of the troops are going to sleep, including Abner. And David sneaks in, grabs Saul's javelin. Can you imagine what it would be like to grab that javelin that's tried to kill you so many times? And grabs his water, sneaks out of uh, camp. Then he gets into a big high rock and David begins to call down. Notice if you don't mind as we pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 26. Notice with me in verse 13. 
And David went over to the other side and stood on top of a hill afar off and a great space being between them. And David cried to the people and to Abner, son of Ner, saying, Answerest not thou not Abner? And Abner answered and said, Who art thou that criest to the king? And David said to Abner, Art thou not a valiant man? And who is like to thee in Israel? Wherefore then hast thou not kept thy lord thy ki the king? For there came one of the people in to destroy the king thy lord. And this thing is not good that thou hast done. As the Lord liveth you are worthy to die. Because you have not kept your master the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is. And the cruise of water that was at his boister. So David calls up and he's yelling at Abner. Hey I thought you were supposed to be protecting the king. You failed. At your, you were sleeping. I walked right past. Asked you, grabbed the king's spear, and you didn't wake up. You failed your job. Can you imagine Abner being called out by David now? Again, another witness between David and Saul. So now that Saul is dead, Abner has a choice. What is Abner going to do? Well, as we now walk back to 1 Samuel chapter number 2, let's see some of the events that are going on. We know that Samuel or Saul is dead. So now the people anoint David as king just as God had promised. That brings me to the second thing I want to bring your attention to is that God makes David king of Judah. God makes David king of Judah. Now, David had already been anointed king before all the persecutions. God had promised David that he was going to be king, and David did not lift a single finger to become king. God is the one who placed him in that position. God is the one who put him to be king. Notice if you don't mind as we pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 1. 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter number 2, 2 Samuel chapter number 2, and notice with me in verse number 1. And it came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord. So God, where should I go? What do you want me to do? Saying, shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. And David said, whither shall I go up? And he said to Hebron. So God has already anointed David as king. And David is still depending on the Lord. God, where do you want me to go? I want you to go to Hebron. And that's where I want you to make my capital. God is directing David. God is the one who placed David to become king. So David goes and he takes his family, takes everyone else, and they go up to, um, to the city of Hebron and make Hebron their capital. While they're there, he hears the word that the men of Jabesh Gilead have gone and done a special forces mission. They, uh, the Philistines had taken the body of Saul and they had posted him on the wall. So his dead body is on the wall. The men of Jabesh Gilead snuck in in the middle of the night, pulled Saul's body down and buried the body out of respect. So David hears about the men of Jabesh Gilead and he writes them a letter and says, you've done well, you've taken care of that. And by the way, God has anointed me to be king of Judah. I'm just letting you know that I'm going to try to repay you back for your kindness. So God has put David as king and David is trying to be wise about the things going on. But then we turn to Abner. Turn with me as we go to our second thing here. Or the next thing is that Abner makes Ishobeth, Sheth, king 
of Israel. Abner makes Ishobethsheth king of Israel. Notice with me in verse number seven. Therefore, now let your, uh, sorry, verse number eight. And Abner, the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, took Ishobethsheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanamon and made him king. So who made him king? Abner made Saul's son king. So here we have God making David king, but now we have Abner making the other guy king, making Saul's line king. Now, you can look at this a couple different ways, that Abner had served Saul for such a long time. But during this time, Saul or Abner had saw that God had protected David over and over and over again. It's one thing when Abner is working for Saul that he has to obey his king. That's understandable. But now Saul is dead, Abner has a choice. Do I get on board with what God is doing or do I do my own thing? And here we have the choice of Abner. Do I follow with what God is doing or do I do my own thing? And of course we see that Abner placed someone else king that was not God's desire to be king. God had chosen David, but Abner chose his own way and put someone else on the throne. And now the king is almost answering to Abner. Without Abner, the king cannot stand. The only reason why the king can stay in power is because of Abner. Abner is forcing things to happen in his own way. And he's the controlling power. Notice if you don't mind. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, as we see this continuing to go on. Verse number 10. And Ishobethsheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel. And reigned two years. But the house of Dave, uh, Judah followed David. So here we have the two conflict. They're split up. Now think about this. Abner watched David forgive Saul over and over and over. He watched the forgiveness of David. He saw the character of David, but he still chose to do something different. Now, this brings us to an important verse that Jesus says in Matthew chapter number 11 and verse, or chapter 12 and verse 30. We're not going to turn there, but this is what Jesus says. He that is not with me is against me. He that is not with me is against me. Now, we apply this because we know that we're in a spiritual warfare. God is trying to get something accomplished in this world. And the choice is, is to join with Jesus in what he's doing or not. Following after Jesus is always a purposeful, intentional act. You don't follow Jesus by accident. You don't wake up one morning and go, Woohoo! I've been following Jesus! You have to make a decision to follow after Christ. You have to decide to go after him. There are some people that said, well, I'm not following after Jesus. Well, then you've already chosen the wrong side. Because not following after Jesus means that you're in the way. One of the scariest verses in all the word of God is the book of James chapter 4 and verse 4. Where it says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. You said, well, I'm not choosing to be enemy of God. 
Well, think about this. God has a plan. God has something he wants to get accomplished. And by you getting in the way, by default, makes you an enemy because you're hindering with what God wants to get accomplished. It's not that you're trying to work against him. You're just in the way. But that's enough to make you an enemy. You're not meaning that you hate God, but you're hindering what God wants to get accomplished. We don't believe that Abner says, I hate God, I hate everything he stands with. He just chose to do his own thing, and by default, he got in the way of what God was trying to get accomplished through the life of David. There is no such thing as being neutral in Christianity. You are either working with God, or by default, you're hindering what God is trying to get accomplished. We see this in the life of Abner. Which now brings us back to more of the history. We see the next thing here, the field of rocky men. The field of rocky men. In verse number 12, we now come to the idea where Abner and Joab, which is um, David's general. So Abner was Saul's general. Joab is going to be the brand new Abner. And we're going to see lots about Joab later on. He's an important person. But Joab is David's general. So now we have only Judah following after David. The rest of Israel following after Abner. And so of course there's going to be some conflict. So they decide the two generals get together and they have a little discussion. Notice with me in verse number 12. And Abner the son of Ner and the servants of Ishobesheth, the son of Saul went out from Mahamanan to Gibeon. And Joab the son of Zariah and the servants of David went out and met together by the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down, one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. So they get together and they have a little conference. What can we do to, to stop bloodshed? There's no reason why Israel should be fighting against Judah. Let's see if we can find some way to solve this. So Abner comes up with a plan. Let's see what kind of plan Abner comes up with. Notice with me in the next verse, in verse number 14. And Abner said to Joab, let the young men now arise, notice this word, and play before us. The word play carries the idea of compete, but it's carrying the idea of gladiator games. Now we know that Rome hasn't come to power yet, but this is that idea. Abner comes up with this idea. Let me take 12 of my best fighters. You take 12 of your best fighters and we'll have them fight it out right in front of us. And it'll be like a game. And whichever side wins, wins the war. Let's just settle it like this. Okay, well, what's Joab going to say? No, let's go full on war. All right. So Abner sets this up. And so they get 12 from uh, Abner's side, 12 from David's side, and they meet together. And notice what occurs in this event. Verse 15, And there arose and went up over by the number 12 of Benjamin, which pertained to Ishobetsheth, the son of Saul, and 12 of the servants of David. And they caught everyone his fellow by his head and thrust his sword in his fellow's side. So they fell down together. So here it is, the 12 men, they come to each other in gladiator games. They come up and they all had the same plan. They grab the guy by his head, and the other guy's grabbing the head, and they all stab at the same time, and they all die at the same time. Well, so much for that game. That didn't work out. The contest came to a draw. They all died. 
Because of this, the place was called Helkath Hazarim, which, which we would understand the field of rocky men. <laughs> so they called it, because of this event here, the field of rocky men. This is where they had the contest and it didn't work out. Well, after this came the full-fledged battle. And so the battle uh, went on. <coughs> Excuse me. And we see in the midst of this battle here, Abner and Ashiel. Notice if you don't mind in verse number 17. And there was a very sore battle that day. And Abner was beaten and the men of Israel before the servants of David. And there were three men of Zariah there, Joab and Abishai and Ashiel. And Ashiel was as light of a foot as a wild roe. Now here we have figurative language. It said he was as light as a foot as a wild roe. We would say a gazelle, all right? So was Ashiel a gazelle? No. But we see the figurative language taken literally. He was fast. Have you ever said someone was as graceful as a gazelle? Someone was graceful as a giraffe, which is a pretty clumsy animal, but here, he's like a gazelle. He's light-footed. Man, he is fast. And so in the midst of the battle, this is what happens. That Abner loses, and he realizes he lost, and so he wants to retreat. Ashiel looks at him, and he says, oh, oh, I got him. And he says, I'm fast enough. I'm going to get him. And so the race is on. Abner's running with his spear, and he's taking off, and he watches as some guy is behind him. This is back in the day when people could run. Probably not a race we could all do today, but... Abner's running. He's running with his spear. And behind him is Ashiel. And he looks back and he just calls this. Hey, are you Ashiel? And the guy said, I am. This is the only thing Ashiel says the whole time. I am. And Abner says, hey, stop following me. No answer. Hey, you need to go left or right. If I stop and we get in a fight, you need to go get some armor on. So go over there, go get some armor. You don't want to keep running like this. It's not going to turn out well. I'm warning you. Ashiel says nothing, just running. Abner keeps running, finally looks back and says, listen, if I kill you, Joab is going to be so mad at me. And it's no longer going to be a nice polite war. It's going to be bitterness. Don't do this. Stop. And Ashiel said nothing. So Abner knew that he couldn't keep running. So he took a spear and he stopped and pushed it back. Ashiel, who's running fast, doesn't see it till too late, and the spear goes all the way through him, and he dies. He was warned, but Abner tried to, tried to give him, he had a little bit of character here. So what we're trying to show is that Abner was not an evil guy. He was just not working with what God was doing. So now Ashiel's dead, and Joab is not going to forget this. Which brings us to the battle truce. Now all the troops gathered together on either side. And Ashiel calls down to, to Joab and says, listen. Uh, pick it up with me in verse number 25. And the children of Benjamin gathered themselves together after Abner. And became one troop and stood on the top of the hill. And Abner called to Joab and said, shall the sword devour forever? Thou uh, knowest thou not. That it will be bitterness in the latter end. How long shall it be ere they'll bid the people to return from following the brethren? So Abner, by the way, who started all this fight, says, listen, all it is is going to get to bitterness. He knows Joab, and he knows Joab is going to take this personally. You killed my brother, I will kill you. 
And he's saying, don't you understand? This is going to be bitterness. Brother versus brother, family versus family. We don't need this civil war. Let's, let's call a truce. Send all your people home. We, we need just to call it a draw. Now, Abner had already lost. He lost the battle before. They just now regathered. But Joab said, all right, fine. He's already had instructions by David that David had said, let's not kill as many Israelites as possible. Israelites are God's people. Let's try not to have bloodshed. Well, when a truce is offered, Joab has to take it in obeying his master, but he's not going to forget about what, what Abner did. And so there's a peace and a truce and they go home. They go back and do their counts. Abner's men only... Uh, lost or lost two or 360 people, whereas David's servants only lost 20, including Abishai. Or, not Abishai, <laughs> Ashiel. And so now, again, we're, now we're hitting a narrative. We're talking about the things here, but what we're putting our attention to, that this is an event talking about Abner. All the way through, it's talking about Abner. Abner starting this war, Abner and Ashiel, Abner pulling up things. What we're seeing here is a man who's not bad in character. He does have some character. We do see that he wants to do kind of what's right for his people. The problem that Abner has is that he's not following with what God is trying to get across. You know, that is a problem that a lot of Christians have today. Is that today we have a lot of Christians who enjoy the culture of Christianity. They enjoy, I'm a Christian, I have values, there is no cussing, no swearing, drinking in our home. We have good moral homes. But there's a difference between being moral and being godly. And that's a choice that we have to make. Are we satisfied with just having moral homes? Or are we going to be satisfied with following after Christ? That's a decision we have to make. And unfortunately, that's not something that's brought up. We carry the idea that it's a difference between good and the bad. And we look and say, well, at least we're not in the bars. Well, at least we're not watching this. Well, at least we're not watching this. And we're satisfied with having good lives. But let me tell you that the good is often the enemy of the best. And that God doesn't want us to be satisfied with living a good life. He wants us to have the best life. And the best life is the never-ending pursuit of Jesus Christ. Following after Jesus. Following after Him. That is the life worth living. That Christ came to give us life. And not just life, life more abundantly. He wants us to have so much more. And so often, we are the guilty party that we're satisfied with having a culture of Christianity. We're satisfied with being good moral people that we don't pursue after the best things. And the best things is following after Christ. Maybe even going more basic than this, we have to answer the question... Are you 100% sure if you died today, are you 100% sure you'd be going to heaven? Now, I didn't ask you if you were a good person because many people are good people. We're not asking, did you live a good life? Because that's not the question. We're asking, are you 100% sure if you die today that you're forgiven of your sins and that you'd be going to heaven? You understand heaven is a perfect place. And because it's a perfect place, God can't allow anything that's not perfect to go to that perfect place. It would ruin it. 
for example, if my kids got through playing in the mud and took their muddy clothes and put it on a clean pile of clothes my wife just got through washing, it would make all of those clothes dirty by association. How many sins did it take to kick Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden? One. One sin was enough to make it not perfect. One sin was enough to ruin all of the world. So God has to keep heaven perfect. And so it's not a matter, did you live a good life? It's, are you considered perfect in God's eyes? Well, that bodes a problem because there's not a single one of us that are perfect. I'm a pastor of a church, but let me tell you a secret. I've disobeyed my folks. How many of you have ever disobeyed your folks before? Raise your hand. This is where the ki- our parents look at the kids, make sure they're raising their hand. The Bible says that we're supposed to, that thou shall not bear false witness. We would say it like this way, don't tell lies. Well, may I tell you something? I'm a pastor of a church, but I've told a lie before. How many have ever told a lie before? And so what we're admitting here is that we're not perfect. The Bible says the same thing in the book of Romans chapter 3 and verse, <coughs> in chapter 3 it speaks about there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That in order to go to heaven you have to be perfect. But none of us are perfect. You say that's bad news. It gets even worse. The Bible says for the wages of sin is death. The word death literally carries the idea of separation. For example, when we have a funeral here, we would have a casket. And we would say the person inside is dead. Why do we say they're dead? Because their body is here, but their soul is separated out. Well, the Bible says that because of our sin, we deserve to be separated from God and separated out. And when we die, there's only two places to go. A wonderful place called heaven or an awful place called hell. Do you know that God never created hell for a single person to go there? He created hell to punish Satan and his demons. But man goes there by default because he deserves to be separated from a holy God and a perfect heaven. You say, that's really bad news. Well, let me tell you what the good news is. That God loved us so much that he finished off Romans 6.23 where he said, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That God loved you so much, he wanted you to go to that wonderful place called heaven. So that's why he sent Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was God, robed in flesh, and Jesus lived the same life that you and I lived. He went through the same temptations, the same troubles, the same heartbreaks. Then he died to pay the price that you and I owed him. And what's more is he did it for free. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For example, if I was to give you a gift, what must you do to make that yours? Did you have to pay me money for it? Did you have to mow my lawn? You didn't even have to be nice to me. All you had to do was receive it. The same thing's true about going to heaven. To go to heaven, you don't have to go to church. To go to heaven, you don't have to pay money to the church. To go to heaven, you don't have to help little ladies cross the street. Now, all those things are good things and things that we ought to do. But the only thing that gets us to heaven is for us to realize that we're sinners. And the only way we can get to heaven is by Jesus Christ. And we personally accept that gift that Christ gave to us and allow him to forgive us of all of our sins. Washing us white as snow. And so when we ask you the question, are you 100% sure if you die today to go to heaven? We're asking you, has there ever been a time where you admitted that you were a sinner and you asked God to forgive you of your sins? And you allowed him to wash you clean. 
What a wonderful thing to know. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. God doesn't want us to hope or guess or think. He wants us to know. And so, may I just simply say this, that if you don't know for sure, it'd be our great privilege to take the Bible and to show you from the Bible how you can know without a doubt that heaven's your home. We want you to choose the best thing, and that's following after Christ. For those of you who do know Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you consider yourself a moral person, a good person, or would you consider yourself a godly person? There is a difference that so often the good is the enemy of the best. And the best thing is the pursuit after the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.